Welcome to the sermon podcast of St. Matthias Anglican Church in Katy, Texas. Today's sermon was delivered by Father Jason Grote. In the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts, be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. It seems that this week, the entire United States, if not the whole world, was captivated by the scene that occurred in a courtroom that was just four hours up the road from us in Dallas. A young man was addressing the court at the sentencing of the cop that had just been convicted of murdering his brother. And we all know the details that were publicized, how she entered the wrong apartment on the wrong floor thinking it was hers, and when she encountered a man, she thought it was a burglar, and she shot and she killed him. A tragic situation, no doubt. And as the murder verdict came and as the surviving brother spoke, he spoke the most incredible words and asked the judge a most unbelievable question. I love you as a person, he said to the cop, and I don't wish anything bad on you. And he asked the judge, I don't know if this is possible, can I give her a hug? And he did. And this was followed by the judge praying for her, hugging her, tears streaming down her face, and presenting her own personal Bible to the cop. That's the scene that has filled our airwaves and populated all of our social media feeds. People all over are praising the great display of forgiveness and compassion of this young 18-year-old man and also of the judge. And I don't care what your political position and I don't care whatever opinions people like to pontificate from their sofas or from behind impersonal screens and keyboards, this really was a picture of unbelievable grace. As one person said, God was all over and in all of this situation. The ability, for lack of a better word, not just to speak the words, but to physically approach and embrace the one who has caused you so much pain and so much heartache and to say, I love you and I forgive you. Wow. What an embodiment of what Christ did for us in the incarnation. It truly is a strength. It truly is a power that comes only from your relationship with the Lord. It comes from the depth and the well that God has sprung up in you. He is the source. He is the means. He is the great peace giver. Now normally I leave things like this out of my sermons. I might discuss current events and social happenings during fellowship and conversation, but usually not from the pulpit. However, this morning I thought it quite apropos to begin this way. First, because it's what we've all seen all week long. But more importantly, because we are presented with a passage in the Holy Scriptures this morning that this 18-year-old grieving brother seemed to embody and live out as he faced this horrific situation. And it's a great segue to our consideration of that passage. We heard Tim read our epistle lesson earlier from St. Paul's epistle to the Ephesians in the third chapter. And I'm going to read a portion of that again. And if you want to read along with me, you can open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 19. Or you can find it in your bulletin booklet. I think it's on page 3 or 4 in your bulletin. 
Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 19. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is one of two different prayers that Paul offers in this epistle. It's an epistle of instruction and exhortation. But Paul structures it around two main personal prayers that he expresses to them. The first is in chapter 1, and the second is here in chapter 3. It begins with Paul praying with with great thanksgiving for the the conversions that were happening in Ephesus and how they were bringing people to the knowledge of Jesus. And so he prays that they would be given wisdom and enlightenment as to the revelation of Christ. And that they may know the hope and great gift that they have in Jesus. That's in chapter 1. And then Paul launches into chapter 2 wherein he explains what that great revelation and what that great gift and what that great hope is. And he explains the salvation that's been given to the Gentiles. And he paints the whole thing in terms of the temple. Which in Ephesus would mean a huge deal because they had the temple of Diana also known as the Temple of Artemis in their midst, which was one of the wonders of the ancient world. So Paul paints the picture of how Christ has built this greater temple in their midst. It was a temple built on living stones upon the apostles and the prophets, with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. And by the gift of God and the person of Jesus Christ, those who were once alienated from God have now been brought near to God. But not just near, but brought brought literally into God's heavenly places and exalted with such a great inheritance that exceeds anything else. That's the revelation of Christ that Paul prays for among them. That's the wisdom and the hope that Paul prays they might increasingly know. And then here in chapter 3, having given thanksgiving and prayed the prayer of chapter 1, And having expounded upon the great praise of Jesus' work in chapter 2, Paul then enters again into prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees. St. John Chrysostom, or Chrysostom, depending on how you pronounce it, an early church father from the latter half of the 4th century said, Paul here shows the spirit of his prayer for them. He does not simply say, I pray, but manifests the supplication to be heartfelt by the bowing of the knees. And what he then goes on to say is of the utmost importance. Another commentator of the late 1700s wrote this, every word seems to have come immediately from heaven, laboring to convey ideas of infinite importance to mankind. This particular prayer of Paul is not just about knowledge or revelation of the work of Jesus on our behalf. It is more about the next step the next level, if you will, of one's abiding relationship with the Lord. And that is the perseverance and the enduring and sustaining faith that we have in Christ. And like we all know, 
And as St. Paul knew, and even as the young man in that courtroom this week who lost his brother knows, it ain't always easy. Thus Paul says that you may be strengthened in the inner man. Actually, it's not the only time Paul says it. As I read through the passage several times, I noted and I, I underlined several words and several verbs and thoughts in my own Bible that seem to show Paul's desire for the internal work of God such that one might be equipped internally in all ways to face what comes our way externally. And permit me to read them again for you. First, in verse 16, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit. Second, in verse 17, that we may dwell, Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Third, again in 17, rooted and grounded in love. Fourth, in verse 18, to comprehend what is the width and the length and the depth and the height. Fifth, in verse 19, to know the love of Christ. And finally, sixth, in verse 19, be filled with all the fullness of God. Notice that this is, an, this is all an internal focus by St. Paul. Nowhere does St. Paul speak about external things here. He doesn't try to list out all sorts of circumstances that we face. He doesn't speak about situations that we face like divorce. He doesn't speak about things like not having enough money. He doesn't say anything about facing health problems, things like that. Ultimately, it would be impossible to speak about all the circumstances. And truthfully, the external circumstances don't really matter. So long as we are prepared and mature in our hearts and our souls and our minds. If our heart and our soul and our minds are strong in the Lord, then there is no external circumstance which will destroy us. We will not be like reeds blown in the wind, to use an imagery that Christ uses. Instead, we are, as Psalm 1 tells us, like trees planted by the waters. And Paul knew this. I mean, think about this. Paul isn't writing this epistle to them, saying all these things from a nice and comfortable house. He isn't writing a sermon and preaching it like I am today from a nicely air-conditioned church with his listeners sitting in nice cushy pews. Paul is actually sitting in a jail cell while writing this epistle. And he's awaiting his imminent judgment and sentencing, probably death. And yet he writes what he does. And I think it's important to understand Paul's prayer because the real battle isn't the external one, but an internal one. As sinful beings, we certainly wrestle against our temptations. We wrestle with the battles that say, well, I want to do this, but I know that I shouldn't. Or I know that I should do this, but I really don't want to. But it's not just temptation with which we wrestle. It's not just about a war about good behavior versus bad behavior. We really wrestle with our inner thoughts, with our inabilities to face what is before us and to say, in God is my trust and my hope. Whether it's our own desire to take control from God and to force our own way in those times, which is usually my own personal struggle, or whether it's our own fears which say, I can't do or go where God says I should go. Or whether it's our own weaknesses which says, I can't fight the good fight anymore. 
or whether it is our own lethargy which says, I'm too tired to walk the path of God. In so many ways, the inner self can be so much weaker than the flesh. And so we need this prayer of St. Paul such that we can get out of our own way and that we can mature to a point where the knowledge of God's truth becomes a center and a stabilizing force in all areas of our life. Where we need strength is not on the outward. Even though our bodies decay, even though our abilities and limitations are different at various ages and in different walks of life, where we need true strength is in the inner man. It's not a strength of muscles, of biceps and triceps or abs and glutes. It's the strength of pressing on. It's the strength of remaining tied to Christ, drawing from His strength and His love when circumstances and powers seek to pull us away. It's a strength of our soul that says, I belong to the Lord and there is nothing that can tear me away. Today at communion, we'll sing a well-known hymn entitled, Be Still My Soul, The Lord is on Thy Side. It's a hymn that expresses the peace of knowing that the Lord's strength both overarches and undergirds our strength, such that we will not be crushed, nor will will be uprooted. And a portion of the words we'll sing echo the strength of the inner man of which St. Paul prays. And I offer them to you as we close our time today in reflection. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side. Bear patiently the cross of grief and pain. Leave to your God to order and provide. In every change, God faithfully will remain. Be still, my soul. Your best, your heavenly friend, through thorny ways, leads to a joyful end. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. We pray that God's Spirit has spoken to you and blessed you today through this sermon. If you would like to learn more about St. Matthias Anglican Church, you can visit us on the web at www.stmkaty.org.